guy coming in not live from New Hampshire and well I've been gone for a while on a little break but I'm back and I just had an amazing interview that I'm excited to share with you guys um well there isn't really much else to say so I'm just gonna jump right into the interview so hi Mr. DeBow. how are you I'm good how about you I'm good. You get any snow in the snow storm up in Lincoln? Oh yeah, lots. Okay, it great. It was a bit rainy, but it got snowy over the past week. Not even. Okay, good, good. So the skiing conditions are improving for you. Skiing conditions are improving. Very good. Yeah, I'm excited because my race team starts this Saturday. Oh, great! You're on a race team. Loon race team. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I think we're just going to jump right into the interview. Okay. Very good. Sure. So can you please introduce yourself? I'm Paul DeBow. I'm a wildlife control operator in Plymouth, New Hampshire. Nice. So how did you get into wildlife control? I got a degree in wildlife from the University of New Hampshire. And while I was there, I met a uh, biologist um, who was in the bat control business. He put ladders up and sealed bats out of houses. And so when I was done getting my degree, I worked for a USDA agency for a little while, helping people with wildlife problems, and then decided that I wanted to do what this gentleman was doing um, and kind of expand a little bit. He was just doing bats, and I, I did the full boat, um, all of it, so I decided to make a career out of it. Nice. So were you like interested in animals as a kid? And do you think that sparked your, um, well, your business ideas almost? It, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I was always an animal lover when I was a kid, really interested in, uh, dogs and cats. And we had a little farm. So, um, chickens and pigs and we had a little bit of everything uh, when I was a kid. Uh, mostly influential was when I went to the Museum of Science in Boston in fifth grade. I was absolutely amazed at all of the wildlife, all the mounts they had, full-size moose and beavers and I was really really interested in all that and got excited about it. Yeah, the Museum of Science is a pretty exciting place. Mm. So what sort of animals did you have as a kid other than like your farm animals or did you have any other than the farm animals? We had the farm animals and uh, my father was a little eccentric and things would come home and uh, we had a pony for a little while and we had a goat, um, uh, just a little bit of everything, a few geese and some ducks, a bantam hen, uh, bantam roosters. Um, we had one family dog uh, and I think that, you know, got old and we had got another one. So you know, dogs and cats, like the normal people. Yeah, that's cool. So what sort of animals do you um, interact with in like now? I started my business specifically for bats um, to get bats out of houses because people will wake up and they're flying around inside and they call on someone for help. And that also includes uh, using ladders to get squirrels out. So probably 80% of my work is ladders climbing around in the house, finding where bats and squirrels are getting in, install a little one-way exit to let them come out and then seal them out once they're, once they're gone in the night. So I've kind of tightened up the whole house to keep them from coming back. 
And then there's larger animals that I trap as well, beavers, raccoons, porcupines, woodchucks, all those. Do you worry about things like diseases? Because like, didn't COVID come from some sort of animal? Yes, actually, uh, COVID was uh, tracked back to, it was either bats or some other um, like armadillo type animal. Yeah, um, penguins. Yeah, yeah, very well researched. Um, I'm, I'm not too worried about getting it from them. Um, I don't really handle them that closely. And, uh, you know, because rabies is a, a real concern, um, I'm always cautious with washing my hands, wearing gloves and, you know, making sure I handle the animals in a safe way. Um, so, yes, I am concerned about those. Have you ever seen the show Wild Crafts? Because your job sounds pretty much like exactly that show. No, I have not. Wild Kratz. No, I have not heard of it. Yeah, it's a, it was a show that I watched a lot while I was like three to seven. Mm-hmm. Sounds fun. So have you ever gotten sick from handling animals back to like that diseases thing? No, no, I've not. I've been, like I said, I've been pretty cautious uh, with that. Um, the, you know, of course, when I do woodchuck trapping, I have to be careful of ticks because you go down in the bushes and in the stone walls and try to find where the woodchucks are coming from. Uh, I do uh, keep an eye out for ticks. And on a few occasions, I've had to get um, to take the uh, antibiotic because the black-legged tick that carries, carries Lyme disease uh, is up here now. And so I have had a few red welts that I was worried about and I went to the doctor, but uh, not, not sick in any way other than that. So have you like ever worked anywhere other than New Hampshire? Uh, when I was just out of college, um, worked for that gentleman I referenced on the side, I was with the a USDA agency that I transferred down to uh, Florida uh, to take a larger position down there where primarily we were helping um, freshwater tropical fish. So the like the goldfish and stuff you buy at the store, the ones that live in freshwater are actually grown in large ponds down in Florida. And they have a tremendous problem with wading birds, the shorebirds that eat fish. Um, so I was down there for a year trying to help them figure out how to keep the birds and other animals out of their fish. So I have worked in Florida for a little bit. Yeah, was it um, as big of a job? Like, was there as many animals that you were handling, like in terms of number of animals or number of species? Yeah, that position was a wildlife uh, biologist position where I was advising people, not really doing a lot of hands-on work. Um, so I was loaning out uh, materials. I was advising and meeting with people in the field. Um, but this job I have now is, uh, I don't think of any, any other job you handle animals more <laughs> than maybe a veterinarian. So yeah, much more in my current job. So if there's any other animal lovers listening to this podcast, would you recommend the, uh, the profession that you have or a different sort of one? Well, animal lovers is kind of a broad term. So it's kind of hard. Um, I am interested in animals and I think they're really cool. Um, and I help people solve problems with them. So people that really adore handling animals, like maybe a veterinarian or the pet groomers. Um, but my line of work is more of solving problems, which sometimes means using traps that kill the animals. So there's some people that are really uneasy with that. And if they really just think animals are real cool and want to handle them, 
you know, pet grooming, uh, pet walking, um, the veterinarian uh, angle of it is would be a good a good choice. Yeah, that that seems reasonable. So, do you know about the uh, pardoned bear? No, I I am familiar with that story. Yes, I am. Um, did you, was it like did you interact with it in any way, or were you part of the process? I was not. I was not. The, the bears are managed by the state fishing game department. So the fishing game department um, has a biologist that helps try to solve those issues. So can you tell the story? Because I'm sure that a lot of people on here probably don't know it. <laughs> well, the fishing game department deals with uh, nuisance bears quite a bit. And there are certain seasons when during the summertime, when there's campers with food in the woods um, or residents with bird feeders and garbage outside, bears get rummaging around. And so they develop policies where if a bear breaks into a house, they will not relocate that bear. They'll, they'll euthanize it. Um, and it's just because you, there's a liability attached to taking an animal that's a known problem and moving it 300 miles and letting it go. What if it becomes a problem over there? And so because our population is so healthy, we have so many animals, the department takes measures uh, to limit those really problem bears um, from getting relocated. And what happened in Hanover is a Facebook group got a hold of the governor and asked if he could intervene. Uh, and the governor's not a biologist, he's just the governor. And so he asked the department to make an exception. Um, and they did. So that's how that kind of got all messy. And, the, and then the animal returned uh, the next year because they will. They'll, when you relocate a bear, they'll come back hundreds of miles to the territory they're familiar with. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, so she did return, and uh, I think she actually passed away. This they found her her body. Uh, she got hit by a car, I think. They found her in the river. Um, so it was quite a quite an uh, interesting story for the public to enjoy. But uh, the the biologists were running around in circles, <laughs> trying to solve that. So how many bears do you think there are in New Hampshire? Because we've had some on our decks, even. Oh yeah. Yeah, when I was uh, a young man, just out of college, they used to throw away around the number 3,000. I think 3,000 was the number they thought they had. And I think that number is now closer to six or 7,000. So we have a real healthy, healthy bear population in New Hampshire. Um, and so, yeah, they're gonna have some problems with them occasionally. Yeah, that's a lot of bears, especially for such a small state. Mm. Would you consider bears um, smartest animals in New Hampshire or? Would I consider them what animals? The smartest animals in New Hampshire. Well, I don't know if it's smart or if it's just kind of a learned behavior. Um, animals are pretty wise at figuring things out. They see where the food is and how to get to the food. I mean, you've probably seen a, a gray squirrel on a bird feeder. They're pretty smart trying to figure out how to get the seed out. Um, bears are amazing animals. They are really, really interesting animals. Um, they have a very complex social um, part of their of their living. And I read that book by Ben Kellum, um, Amongst the Bears. It's really interesting um, where he has a chance to see how um, by raising the bears and letting them go back in the wild, interacting with them. They're very complex and, and, and smart in their environment, I guess. But as far as the smartest animal, boy, Raccoons are pretty smart at figuring out how to get into houses and get inside the attic and hide down in the walls. Um, squirrels are pretty uh, resilient at trying to get back in. And as you know, canines can learn stuff like dogs can be trained. So I think they're all smart in their own way. Um, 
So I don't know if I would pick one over the other. Right, I understand. So um, what sort of animals do you see around Loon, which is where my house is? The calls that I get the most um, for those mountain areas with lots of trees and houses are flying squirrels. Flying squirrels come down from the trees, they find little gaps in the, the roof line. They think of it as a hollow tree, which is where they live. And so they get inside an attic and boy, it's nice and dry, there's lots of insulation, it's a great place. Flying squirrels by, by far. Uh, red squirrels, if there's a lot of pine trees, conifers, they, they eat to seeds that are in those cones. So um, I get red squirrel calls from up there, uh, raccoons um, and some woodchucks. I went to Lincoln this summer, there's a woodchuck under a deck. Um, but of course there's all those other wild animals, but the ones that typically people call me about are the problem animals, the, the animals that break into houses or are living around houses. So how does the weather, because obviously the weather in the Northeast is very unpredictable. How does the weather affect animal populations? Weather is a limiting factor for some animals. Uh, we've got animals that overlap in this state that are kind of more of a Northern animal and don't want to move too much further South. We've got Southern animals. We're right on the, the breaking point, like for bobcats. It's not the best habitat for bobcats up here. But as you go south in New Hampshire, less mountainous, milder winters, you do have more bobcats down there. Um, I have found over the years that the squirrels, um, porcupines, uh, woodchucks, raccoons, they seem to always be on schedule despite the snow and the rain. We'll have longer uh, winters or, or wetter springs. And when people start calling me with animals that are, have their young in the house, it seems like they're always on schedule. So they're pretty, they're pretty adapted to the, the weather and whether it's a dry or wet year, they're still out there reproducing and, and having little ones. So uh, the animals that are real common here uh, do well with the weather. Do you ever see things like, um, like bigger animals and predators like wolves, coyotes, because I, I think that there's some of those around here, but obviously- uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I deal with some predators, uh, foxes, um, yeah. coyotes. Uh, there aren't any wolves in this part of the country. Uh, there's a whole folklore about the uh, original Northeastern wolf being a little different from the Western wolf and how they've interbred with coyotes. And there's a whole bunch of science behind that. Um, wolves are a big animal and they need a lot of prey and they have these uh, hierarchy or family groups. Um, that are pretty complex. And so we don't see that. We don't see in, any of that. We see our coyotes, like, like coyotes. Um, so yeah, I, we have them around. I've, I've trapped a few, not too many. So what, what do you do with the animals you trap? Well, that is a difficult question. Um, there are regulations. You can't relocate animals uh, because they can become problems in other places. And Mostly the, the reason, and the, the Massachusetts has the same law, they're worried that we could help spread rabies around by moving animals. You could catch a sick skunk and take it for a ride and help and not know that it's sick, let it go somewhere else and help spread the disease. So um, that's, a, that's a concern that the biologists have. So they actually have regulations that we cannot relocate them unless we have written permission of a landowner. And most landowners around here own small tracts of land. Um, and you just can't drive hundreds of miles. So uh, woodchucks, raccoons, porcupines, I usually use a trap that kills them uh, just simply because um, 
regulations and such, you just can't be moving them around. And really we have healthy, healthy gray squirrel population, woodchucks, porcupines. There's just too many of them to be moving them around and causing crowding in other places. So do you ever see moose? I, I do occasionally see moose driving around. I'm a deer hunter. So when I'm in the woods, sometimes I'll see a moose. Um, they aren't as populated as they were just 10 years ago. Their population seemed to be correcting. Uh, I think there was a little too many of them uh, for this type of environment. Um, haven't had any calls with people with problems with them though. Yeah, I think if there was a problem with the moose, there wouldn't be much of a house left to. <laughs> that, you know, the biggest problem moose cause is walking through maple syrup lines. I don't know if you've seen the blue lines that run through the woods that uh, take the sap out of the maple trees and drain them down to a big bucket. Uh, the farmers have, or the, the maple producers are starting to use these vinyl hoses that run through the woods at about your right waist height. And uh, the moose just wander right through them and knock them off the trees. Um, so that is one thing that, uh, I mean, it's a small headache, um, but they usually stay out of trouble. They, they like to stay up in the mountains. Have, I haven't ever seen one, but I'd like to. So do you have any like suggestions on the best way to find one? Yeah, they like swampy wet areas in the spring. Uh, they like to come out like the salt. Um, so if you drive some of the back roads, um, I, I bet if you went over 112 often enough, the kank, I think you would um, eventually see one early mornings. Early mornings are when you're likely to see them. Yeah, I was, um, we did, we tried that um, in the summer. So is it different in the summer or is it just the kink works better than other places? Yeah, the, the kink, the kink is a nice long ride through, you know, the habitat that they live in. So that's where you just eventually they're going to catch them uh, crossing the road. I know the access, well, so in the, in the summertime, they're eating more vegetation in wetlands. In the wintertime, when it's cold, they move up slope and they eat a lot of buds. Um, so you'll have them up on the hillsides um, and you won't really necessarily see them so much in the winter. That's interesting. So I remember that you said while we were starting that you were an animal control, um, like you do animal control. Is there a difference from animal control and um, an exterminator? Because usually I think of those two things as basically the same. Yes, yes. And, you're, and you are, along with most of the public, uh, in fact, when I first started my business, we were using phone books uh, to advertise. And there was no category for wildlife control. There was only pest control. And it's, uh, it's difficult. Um, pest control usually uh, pertains to the use of chemicals spraying for ants, putting out baits for mice, spraying for hornets, uh, termites, all that stuff. So pest control usually is for invertebrates. Some of the pest control companies also have a wildlife arm to the company. So they'll do bats and squirrels and that sort of thing as well. So wildlife control operator is a different license from the state of New Hampshire to operate than it is for pest control guys that do exterminating. Okay, that sounds interesting, but I don't know what a phone book is. <laughs> there used to be, uh, you would get in the mail, a big, uh, almost like a catalog of all the phone numbers. And one part of that was the businesses. So if I wanted to look up your phone number, I would open up the page and look down for your last name. 
And if there's a whole bunch of people with the same last name, I'd have to read through a list of names to find the one that I was certain was you. I'd have your name and your address. Um, so they were listed in a book. And there was part of that book was for listings. There were categories, pest control, house painters, auto repair. If I wanted to find someone to fix my car, I would look up auto repair in the phone book or, or the back of the phone book, there was business listings. They called it the yellow pages. Nice. So I have a golden retriever and I was wondering this one, I, I think golden retrievers are supposed to be smart, but do you think that chipmunks and squirrels are smarter than golden retrievers? I bet golden retrievers are very smart and they can be trained uh, and they figure things out by watching us. And I don't know if the squirrels would ever take that much time to watch us except for bringing out the bird feeder. Um, they're smart in their own way. They all have their own uh, capabilities to figure out how to get food and survive the winters and get around. But I, I, I would gamble that dogs in general are smarter than squirrels. I don't tell them I told them that you that. <laughs> Well, I, my dog doesn't seem that smart most of the time, <laughs> walking in the glass and he just doesn't know what he's doing. So I was wondering if it was just him or if it was going to be dogs in general, but he's, yeah, still well, he's still a really nice dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of the super smart dogs aren't very friendly. They're all business. So yeah. if you got a cuddly loving dog, it's the best one to have. Yeah. What about cats? Do you think cats compare to the um to the animals of up here? Yeah, cats are, cats are extremely um, uh, stealthy hunters, and they observed very well. They've got great ears and, and great eyes. So yes, they're very very um, good at what they do. I was wondering because I'm reading an 84 book series about um, a fictional series about cats in the wild. Oh yeah, yeah. It's called Warriors. Yeah, cats are survivors. They know how to sneak around. And yep, I just saw some bobcat tracks out in the snow when I was out in the woods today. Cool. Never seen a bob a bobcat. No, they're around. They're around. They're they're very populated in Massachusetts. Oh, Massachusetts. We what's it, do you read about animals at all, fictional or non-fictional? If so, what I, is your favorite book about animals? Yeah, I've, I've read, um, when I was a kid, I read a few um, nonfiction. I don't know if I can, uh, fictional. I can't remember what they are, actually. Um, Into the Wild, maybe? No, that was, there was one about wolves up in uh, Alaska. I'm forgetting it. Most recently, I read a book by wild? Uh, A Call of the Wild. Yeah, there was another one with a wolf, though, I'm forgetting. Um, but in any event, um, I read a book recently by a college professor, Bernd Heinrich, um, Mind of the Raven. And he had written one years ago about crows that I never did read, but he referenced it. So Mind of the Raven's really interesting. Um, Is it fictional or non-fictional? It, it, it's, it's, it's a non-fiction. Okay. So has COVID made your business like boom? Like... Have you had more calls or have you had even less because? It, it's been about the same though. My, every year my business, it kind of has these cycles where there's a busy time and less busy time. And 
And there is a squirrel cycle when there'll be a whole bunch more squirrel work one year than the other. So it's up and down, up and down. But this year, it seems like it started early because there were a lot of folks that had second residences that came up in March and April that traditionally don't come up in June. So squirrels breed in the early winter and early spring have their young. And usually by June, they're coming off the nest. So lots of people come up to their second residence, had squirrels, but didn't know it because they were already gone because they're not opening up till after the kids get out of school in June. So this year I had a lot of folks that were up in March and April and they were hearing things that they don't usually hear. So I did, I did uh, get busy earlier this year. Um, and it's been about an average year for me. Uh, a lot of my work is on the outside. People call me on the phone, send me pictures of their house. So I just go and work on the exterior. So I, it, it really has not affected me. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I didn't realize, I wouldn't have thought that you could hear the squirrels in the walls or whatever animals. Yeah, yeah. depending on the way they use your house, um, the way the house is constructed, they can often come in through the roof, get underneath the roof and run down the beams that go down into the eaves, which are in line with your first floor ceiling. So commonly people hear flying squirrels in the, in the first floor ceiling at night. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So... Out of all the animals you work with, which ones are your favorite? Well, that's a tough question. I think that the better question would be uh, which projects I prefer are the ones where there's a lot of animal sign. I'll have people call me with kind of questionable and not quite sure what they have. And I go to the house and I look and look and look and I want to find something. I want to find like a rub mark, a chew hole, or, you know, any sort of evidence that the animal's there. So I do enjoy a flying squirrel job when I go to the house and there's a nice hole that's definitely the spot they're getting in and out to put my one-way exit device. Uh, when I go to a trap a skunk, I like it when there's a nice definitive hole that I can block with a trap rather than just a wide open, you know, it, it comes and goes and not sure where it comes from. Animals will come through your property and continue on. They may be living at your neighbors. So those are the most challenging. Woodchucks will disappear on me. So the jobs I like the most are the ones that have the most sign and the animal is always there. So when you're like tracing the animals, do you, like, is it sort of like being a detective? Because that seems to be what it sounds like. It, it, there is some detective work, certainly. You look for scratches and sometimes you can kneel down and look real close and see a little bit of hair got rubbed off under the deck when the animal goes under. Raccoons have a very specific, long, um, wiry hair that's different from skunk hair and woodchuck hair. So yeah, you, you, you put on your detective hat and use a, a strong flashlight and kind of look around and scratch marks down the side of the house is helpful to find where the raccoon's climbing, for sure. Yeah, you seem like you have a pretty cool job. It's fun. It's fun. And it's always something different. Well, those seem to be all the questions I have, so. Um, well, I, I enjoyed answering them. If you have any others in the future, certainly get in touch with me. I will. Okay, good luck with your podcast. Thank you. Thank you again, Mr. Paul DeBoe. And, um, well, that was just a really interesting interview. You sound like you have an amazing job and like a cool one. And it was just an exciting interview all around. So that's about all I have to say today. So I'll see you guys next time on The Kai Guy Show. Mm -hmm.